This week, we're talking about something that we wish we didn't have to, but it is a very important topic, how floods affect property prices. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Monica, I'm being asked all too often. Now, we're recording this in April 2022, so after the flood events of northern New South Wales and Queensland, I'm being asked all too often, is now a good time to swoop in, bag a bargain and buy a flood-affected property? That's what we're talking about today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. This is going to be a very interesting chat because it is. I had this know, question we- this morning from a mortgage broker. A mortgage. <laughs> I met with a mortgage broker, and he actually said to me. So remembering, I'm in Brisbane. Veronica's in Sydney. I actually grew up in Lismore, so that's my hometown. The most majorly affected um, town from flood in a very, very, very long time. Twice in a very short period of time. Um, but I had a mortgage broker say to me this morning, Megan. I'm I'm doing pre approvals for people. I think now is a really good time to buy one of these bargain properties. What do you think? You can horror. imagine, like, you can imagine Shock. my ho- absolute horror. <laughs> one, you're outside your lane. <laughs> yes. Don't give property advice. Big time. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's go through this. And, but before we do, you know, Megan normally has a, in her background behind her, if you're watching the video, she normally has a picture of a very interesting house. And today's is not a house, but I'm presuming there might be a few houses. Well, there are a few houses in that image behind you. What are we looking at? This is Brisbane. This is 2020. This is the floods of 2020. You can see down here um, over my shoulder is uh, Churchy Grammar, uh, Churchy um, Anglican School, I apologise. Um, and that is pretty much fully flood affected uh, and then you can see some suburbs around there over this shoulder if I move this way there's some pretty prestigious suburbs there Hawthorne, Balmoral, Balimba you've got um, New Farm in the background now whilst these are riverside suburbs or riverfront suburbs if you like there are a lot of properties that aren't on the riverfront that are flooded so what we want to talk about today is just because your location isn't close to the river doesn't mean it may not flood and if you don't do due diligence right you could get caught out terribly 
Um, mm. So we're going to share our views on flood affected properties and whether now is a good time to buy while prices are low. Yes, and this is fabulous. And I think before we sort of get into Brisbane specific, because obviously this does affect, it affects Taree, it affects Lismore, as you said. There's mm. been floods, you know, right up and down the eastern seaboard. There's floods in Sydney in certain parts, um, you know, and these aren't, um, I don't, they're not unexpected events. And no, I, they're, and they're, no, no, let me, let me give you some stats. Okay. Because mm. I'm not a stats person as everybody knows I'm not a stats person, <laughs> <laughs> but these ones are really important. So the Brisbane and Bremer river have flooded 38 times since records started in 1824. Right. So that's more than one in 100 years. Now that's, you know, 12 of those were considered major floods in, in terms of their severity um, and, and that's in the last 200 years. That, that's a far higher chance than one in 100. And if you look at some of the flood mapping systems in different city council um, areas, they talk about the one in 100 year floods. Now we're actually seeing more regular than one in 100 year major flood events. So for those people who had one in 2011 and then another one in late 2012-13, We've now seen one in 2022 in Brisbane. These are not one in 100-year flood events anymore, these major flood events. So let me just uh, share with you something that I recently learned about the whole one in 100-year flood event. We all think this is a, a hydrological uh, measurement, right? So hydrologists are people that are experts in floods. Water. And, they and do water, water. yes. <laughs> and so um, – the. The term doesn't mean that that type of flood is like it happen every once every hundred years. What it means is that in any year it's got a one in a hundred chance of have, of flooding. So that's a one percent. So basically, if if in any one year you got one percent chance of having a flood. So and then so yes, obviously that that seems to be going up, doesn't it? You seems to be going mm. up from one percent quite dramatically. I think it's particularly when you look six percent at the moment. For well, yeah, and you look back in yeah. Brisbane, you've had two thousand eleven. You've had the, back in 1974, so there's you know, only 30 years where people were thinking clearly that, you know, it can't be that bad. But there's often minor floods as well just because you don't have those and huge moderate. floods. Yeah. yeah, so you've got minor, moderate and major in terms of how, how they um, assess them. Yep. And what we're going to talk about here is the short memory because this is where buyers and property owners get trapped by the short memory syndrome. So mm -hmm. shall we run through, before we get to that, let's just recap on A, B and C grade property because this is really at the This is vital. Mm. Yeah, this is really vital. And, and here we are at a period of time that we haven't really experienced um, for, for a very long time. And, and I would, you know, probably say that we haven't really experienced these, these kind of conditions, all of these, these things coming together all at once. And, and what I'm talking about is, low interest rates, um, strong population growth, low supply, um, you know, there's a lot of pressures on prices at the moment. We haven't seen these things in a long time. But I want to, I want the short memory thing, Veronica, is so important because what people don't really know, understand or remember is after the January 2000, well, actually leading up to the January 2011 floods in Brisbane, 
we actually had a slowing, quite a, a slowing market in Brisbane. So we're on a bit of a downhill run with prices, not significantly. As you know, I, I talk about Brisbane being the Clydesdale of, of the <laughs> horses, you know, plods along pretty reliably, has a little bit of a trot and then comes back to a fairly steady pace. Um, so we're having a little bit of a, a slowdown in price growth in Brisbane in, leading up to the end of 2010. But we also had um, some, you know, comparatively higher interest rates. So not not phenomenally high, but the interest rates were actually higher. So leading into 2011, the prices were generally trending lower. But in the two, 12 months after 2011, there was only a moderate about 6.1% drop in median house prices across all properties. But of course, we know that all locations aren't created equally. Mm. So it took until about March 2014 for the Brisbane median to recover to the level of December 2014. Got that? That's yeah. about four years. But less for non-flood-affected areas or properties versus flood-affected suburbs, mm. which took on average over five years. But some were much longer. And I want to talk about those because it's really important for people to understand where we are at the moment versus where we were then and what that you know, when, when you start extrapolating, it's going to take a lot longer for these prices to recover. Mm. So it took Chelmer, which is a riverside, riverfront suburb, over eight years to recover to the median house price that it was in December 2010. Wow. Eight years. Indrapilly, over nine years. So more than nine years just to get back to the median that it was before the flood. Now, of course, you know, not, not all properties are created equally, in those highly sought-after areas, and these are very sought-after suburbs with great fundamentals, but if you get the asset selection wrong within those suburbs, this is where you come unstuck. So in those highly sought-after areas, non-flood-affected properties still had really strong demand and some of the A-grade properties experienced growth within a very short period of time. So the fundamentals had to be really strong to outlast the memory of the floods. But at that time, the cash rate reductions actually helped with the recovery as well. So mm. from about November 2011, we started to see the cash rate drop. And, but this time, you know, post-floods, we're actually experiencing strong inflation. So we're probably actually going to see interest rates rise. So the memory from last time and what we experienced last time in terms of conditions is actually quite different to what we're seeing now. And it's going to be a really interesting ride for those properties. What I think, you know, and, and, and sort of underneath the fundamentals underpinning everything that you've just been talking about there is the fact that C-grade properties, because effectively a flood-affected property is C-grade. and Yeah, actually, you, you, you started to say that and then yeah. I rambled on. So let's no, no, go no. back to the A, B, yeah. and C-grade because it's so vitally important to the conversation. About, <laughs> yeah, you're, what you're saying there is in some of those areas where the entire suburb, you know, the the bad performance of those flood-affected affected properties dragged down the averages for the entire or the median for the entire mm. suburb over a long extended period of time. That would have had some impact too on the on the upper end. It would have had some sort of, I guess, mitigating impact on, on even the better properties in that area in terms of some people might have avoided the suburb, for instance, because of knowing that there's flood-affected properties there, not realising you have to pull out, some are, some aren't. But uh, but however, the difference in the the properties that are A grade that actually made money while the, mm. the stats for the the entire suburb were falling, 
And, you know, I talk about, I've done lots of case studies on this. It doesn't have to be flood-affected areas for this to happen to, right? Um, stuff on main roads. You know, people fight mm. over C-grade properties in a hot market. On a hot market where yeah. they can't get something else. And then, so let's, let's quickly differentiate. So an A-grade property has good, strong investment fundamentals, regardless of whether it's an owner-occupier or an investor good, strong investment fundamentals, very few overriding negatives or things that can't be fixed. So, you know, a kitchen can be fixed, a floor plan might be tweaked if if it's okay fundamentally. Um, transport's good, demographics are good, th- those sorts of things. There's a lot that goes into it, a lot more than mm. that. You know, we assess 36 investment fundamentals. You have a similar criteria mm. when you assess um, fund- investment fundamentals in Sydney. Um, but those A-grade properties, you know, they tick those boxes pretty much at a high level the whole way through. B-grade properties, you know, they've got something that can't be fixed and it might be the layout, it might be the neighbours, it might be big block of units next door, one of those sorts of things. But when we're talking about C-grade, we're talking about the essence of the investment fundamentals being fundamentally flawed. Main road, right on a train line, um, flood affected, overland flow, these things can't be fixed, can't be avoided and they're always going to be there. I am busy scrolling through trying to think of the actual episode number where we a- outlined what oh, A, B and C grade areas, and I can tell you I just found it. It's episode okay. 40. So if anybody wants to have a look in more really? detail about really what goes into making what is an A grade or B grade or C grade property, go back and listen to episode 40 because those fundamentals are really critical to it's what important. we're talking about here. It's important. Because you and I aren't selling properties. We're not, we're not out there saying, you know, buy this one, don't buy that one. What we're doing is teaching people about how to um, make sure that what's in their portfolio, whether it's one house or 12, is the best quality that they can afford. Yeah. And they're not putting things in there that are going to drag them down. And what we're talking about is risk, you know, because people are sort of running around, People think short-term when, when it comes to property and that's why it's short-term thinking that that results in, in someone coming out and going, oh, my God, I'm going to grab a bargain. And I know when I first started as a buyer's agent, I was quite short-term in my thinking. I was thinking, right, oh, yeah. I'm going <laughs> I'm I'm you know, to game the system. That's what I was thinking, right? I'd been selling for six years, thought I knew everything. Mm. I was like, great, <laughs> I'm going to buy stuff on main roads in shit markets, you know, in really slow markets and I'm going to sell it in hot markets. Because they're really cheap. Yeah, and, and it's true. They do go down and up. They go down the most, right, in a slow market. There's no doubt about that. But what I have since learned And the quickest. Is, yes, by far. The quickest. And they do bounce back in hot markets, but, God, they're volatile, and you have to then be able to time the market. We've talked about this on this podcast, and, you know, I, I have been able to time the market brilliantly on some property transactions and not so brilliantly on others. So, And we're in it every day. I want to talk about timing the market, Veronica, because this is – so important. You and I have just said that as professionals and being in the industry for 20 odd years each more now, we've worked out, I think we stopped counting. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we can only say afterwards when we think a peak was or when we think a trough was, you know, the bottom of the mm. market. Okay. So no one can say we are leading up to a peak because in most cases, if you say it, you might just have a little, you know, there's been times where markets have been cycling quite strongly up and you see a little bit of a hiccup and you think, oh, maybe that's the turn and then it goes again. Um, so- yeah. And on that, I, was, I had people in my office in Sydney in the last boom, right, which went for five years and I had more than a handful of people that had come in saying that they'd sold, say, in 2000. 
14, thinking it can't get any better, and then 18 months later they're still trying to buy. You know, because it's still going yeah. off and they can't yeah. go back in. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, trying to, t- t- to time the market, good luck. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll, I'll just want to do a couple of examples of people who timed it quite well on the outgoing but are really getting smashed now because they bought. So there's there's two different sides to this. This is a particular property in um, a family-friendly suburb, you know, fabulous school catchments, bigger blocks of land, not many units, a really low density. So tick, tick, tick so far. This is a highly regarded suburb, well sought after. It's a three-bed, one-bath house on 875 square metres. So good, you know, tick, tick, tick so far. Um, the house is okay. There's nothing that would stop me looking at this house from an investment perspective. The room size is fine. The layout's okay. All of those things um, add up. The land size is okay. The orientation is okay. And the walkability is quite good. So, so far we're looking pretty good on some fundamentals. But this is a C-grade asset. And you can see from the flood picture in the on the slide that's in front of you now, if you're watching, this property sits right in the heaviest flood area and is on a busy road. So let's talk through the numbers because this has had th- uh, two resales. One was mm-hmm. in September 2010, which was before the, uh, the January 2011 floods. It sold for 586000 So this is Brisbane and it's in a good suburb. So then it was, you know, it was fairly a fairly steady market at that time, starting to slow down a little bit. The median in that suburb at that point in time was 700000 So that sold in what I would say was a, you know, pretty reasonable transaction for less than the median at the time. It resold in October 2021 with absolutely no improvements whatsoever for $1.37 million. Now, this was in a peaking market and the median in that suburb was around $1.4 million. So you can see there what this market has done to people in not differentiating between B and C grade asset. They've actually paid... Um, a price for a median house for a subgrade asset in October 2021. Mm. Now, we've just done an estimate on that post-flood and it's probably sitting around $850,000 now. Wow. So those people, those owners who owned it for 11 years, they were actually able to time their sale. But if they'd held it for another five months, they actually wouldn't have made the kind of money that they did. But the people that have bought it, they've just lost a, a pretty significant amount of money so that that's a that's a timing issue if they had not sold at that point and most people might hold an investment property between eight and 12 years if they hadn't sold at that point if they'd thought we'll do it in february who would have known the floods were coming exactly that's the point it's it's yeah i mean that's the thing they've got this huge because that's not just the market turning that's actually you know, a major natural disaster. Major event. <laughs> but a major event had they chosen a different asset that they wouldn't have been impacted by. Yes, that, and that's the point here, isn't it? That's and so the point. You will so if you've got people- an A-grade asset and you exit, then you haven't got to time it as well as you do if you've got a B or C-grade asset. You have to time it perfectly. And, you know, and so then you've got the people at the mortgage broker and other people running around saying, oh, great, well, I'll go and buy that for 800 thousand now, whereas I would have had to pay, you know, 1.3 or whatever it was back in, you know, six months ago. Um, it does seem logical. It, it does on papers. You think, oh, that's a great idea. However, that volatility and the need to mm. 
understand and also you can't choose when to sell that property you know you don't have the flexibility yeah of of if life changes or you want to upgrade or whatever you are sort of you, that's more of a trap that sort of property than even a b-grade property is you know so and that's what we want you to be fully aware of with flood impacted properties they're not well they might be bargains but bargains they're not are not bargains good. they're cheap <laughs> yeah, that's a big difference. <laughs> a bargain is being able to buy something under market value that is still of good quality. And you and I would not would would certainly agree that a C grade asset, because it's cheap, is not a bargain. Absolutely not. So I read this really interesting book. Right, we actually interviewed the author of this book. She's a historian. and works at. Uh, she's a professor, I think, at the um, University of Sunshine Coast. And it's called um, Brisbane, a river with a city problem. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm going to put the link in the show notes so you can buy it if you're interested in this. It's, it's really, it's well written. It's just, a, a, I found it very easy reading, but fascinating because it talked about that basically the way that Brisbane was actually developed from the late 1800s and all the, the, the government intervention and, and, um, you know, the commercial aspects of it and everyone wants to make a buck and how real estate agents have played their part in this whole thing. Um, it's really quite fascinating because back in 1897, I think, I'm sorry, 1893, there was huge floods and, you know, to the magnitude of sort of 1997, those sort of floods and the, and the 2011 floods. So it's like huge, devastating floods because Brisbane is largely built on a floodplain. And floodplains are quite important for like just the way that floods, you know. Water's got to move somewhere. Operate. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it has to come from up to down. Yeah. yeah. And so, but even way back in 1893, you know, basically there's been spruikers and real estate agents and developers and, and governments wanting to make money out of it. Like, and it, it's been quite phenomenal. So let me just read you a couple of bits that I've sort of cut out of this book, right? And, you know, this is, uh, it's, this was after, um, I think the 1973, hang on now, I've lost my, I can't remember the exact bit, but I'll just read this bit. It says, despite the flood, the lure of attractive riverside or affordable low-lying land remained. As in the aftermath of the 1893 floods, the memory of floods receded and with the aid of flood-free years, try saying that quickly, (laughs) people returned to the floodplain. And, of course, Brisbane's had the added complexity of basically a couple of dams being built, which gives people the false sense of being protected from floods and there have been apparently these dams have been quite successful in, in you know stopping some small floods but they aren't able to stop the they big floods the, the water comes and, and that's just where we're where we're built anyway you, you go on because i've got so much to add yeah and so basically with the aid of these flood free years people returned to the floodplain the real estate industry cynically believed people would forget the floods in six months and declared as early as 4th of February, and these floods are in January, right? So and I think this is after the 2000, sorry, the 1974 ones, which was like on Australia Day or something. Mm. So we're talking a week. <laughs> Entrepreneurs were buying, in inverted commas, soggy Entrepreneurs. houses. Entrepreneurs <laughs> buying soggy houses, hoping that when things dried out, people will be rushing to buy land that was flooded back in January. For some, it was worth the risk. 
a, clear, a view clearly articulated by a local surveyor who intended to remain on the floodplain and said, how often do you have to suffer a flood like this? I live in one of these beautiful flood-prone suburbs and take my chances on having a flood every 50 years or whatever it has to be. Um, you know, and for some, restricting development for infrequent floods was foolish, right? So there's just, you know, bizarre. This one of the journalists in the Sunday Mail basically was saying, well, the Brisbane Mail, um, the Sunday Mail was was. Um, saying that Brisbane has to live with floods, arguing that leaving the floodplain vacant was unviable and that policy had been implemented, one-third of Brisbane would never have been built, you know, if, if that. they'd yep. actually tried to protect the uh, flood mm. plain. Mm. So, you know. And Including was, the CBD. Yeah. You yep. know, and it's like capitalism and progress once again justified floodplain development. But where, where else are you going to put these things? <laughs> I mean, this is the argument. You look at Lismore. Lismore's built in a basin, essentially. And, and that whole city centre floods regularly, but twice significantly. Anyway, we digress. So you've got a bit more to read. Well, this read, was, read on. This book was written actually before these most recent floods. It was written mm-hmm. in 2019, I think it was. And she writes, eight years have passed since the 2011 floods. Families still mourn loved ones. Many could not afford to relocate or determined to stay and repair their homes. Mm. Others have moved to higher ground. 4,000 people are still pursuing a class action against um, SEQ Water or Sequwater, Sun Water Mm. in the state of Queensland. Mm. But already, especially for those unaffected, the floods are receding into memory. The real estate industry has recovered Fees of a 30% decrease in values as predicted in 2011, described by Australian property monitor Andrew Wilson as hysterical. That's another issue. He's a bit of a property bear, so or bull, I should say. Um, mm. You know, did not come to pass. In the immediate aftermath of the floods, property prices in Brisbane dropped between 5 and 10%. That's 6.1% um, across Brisbane. Yep, with mm. a similar fall noted simultaneously in other Australian capital cities. Flooding may not have been a significant contributor. The decline in buyer confidence proved short-term, shorter than the 10 to 20-year recovery experience in 1974. So back then we had longer memories, right? Mm. Owners repaired properties for sale and advertisements boasted once again of full property restoration without revealing prior flood damage as a causal factor. Now, you know, within the a decade, the river has reverted to a benign landscape feature and the floodplains are again a developer's paradise. Now, this is interesting too. A couple of things here. One, the disclosure in Queensland that, you know, we've talked about the lack of disclosure. Cave Nobody has to tell Let you. Let the buyer beware. <laughs> this is freely available information, right? So so there's there's one side, Veronica, which is seller disclosure. But if if there isn't a requirement for seller disclosure, then the buyer has to do their investigations. And this is freely available information on the Brisbane City Council City Plan site. So you can go in, you can check these things yourself. You don't have to pay a solicitor to do it, but you have to know that you have to do it. And I think that's the thing that worries us immensely, you and I, is Mm. how much people don't know what they've got to do for themselves in these investigations and then how to apply, well, what does that actually mean for me? Because what you can see on a flood map might be vastly different to what the topography of the street is like. And the reason I say that is in, in Brisbane, you can have these, you know, undulating streets that really go up and down. So this house down here might have flooded significantly. I can think of a number of streets where there were houses up to, you know, well into the second level, and yet their neighbouring houses were up, um, you know, the rise of the street and had absolutely nothing. They were islands during the floods, but for a short period of time. Um, but they are on the flood maps as being flood affected. But 
but the development implications and what you can and can't do with those is, is, is very different. And also, if you are a person who walks to mm. the property and has a look, as opposed to doing a Google view or buying remotely or any other you know, strange thing that you might do. Um, the other thing that can come into play is not just rising floodwaters, but overland flow, which is the way that the water runs down mm. the hills in Brisbane and has an effect. And and properties that are actually higher up could have more impact from those than rising floodwaters and more often because of the rainfall. So that gardens get swept away regularly. Um, pools, pools get flooded. Um, oh, pool yeah. Equipment, um, built-in areas underneath can, can just get washed through. Uh, so, so that can actually ha- happen more often than rising floodwaters. And then you've got to think of if you've got a neighbour on the high side who's got a pool, it overflowing into your yard. Down it goes. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's all these things that can happen. In this book, in more than one reference, were, were people quoted, you know, after various floods, you know, in the real estate, real estate industry, quoted as basically saying they'll sell to Sydney siders and Melbournians who yeah. won't know. So there's a level of cynicism around, you know, some in some aspects of the industry to say, mm. you know what, not everyone realises what's flood affected and what's not flood affected. Mm. Um, and even though, sure, prices may not have fallen as steeply as what was expected, you've got to realise that they're talking about Brisbane prices, but those flood affected properties were individually quite heavily quite impacted. Very and, impacted. And those those uh, those. Um, aggregator statistics for the entire city, that it's like diluted, using a bit of a, a water pun, um, because you've got higher performing properties that are actually bolstering up the numbers. Up. So the and truth about these properties has actually been hidden. You are spot on. And I guess this is the, the thing that I, I think that we will wrap up on. And that is the last time that we saw price growth that is as as strong as what we are seeing now is around 2002-2003. That was when the price differential between the prices in Brisbane, Melbourne and Sydney were at their greatest. So Brisbane was very, very affordable from uh, from an interstate perspective. So there was a lot of demand that came into Brisbane then. We had some net migration that was quite strong and we also had some interstate investor activity that was very strong. So that was the last time we saw this kind of level of growth. What we saw between 2011 and 2020, let's say 2020 before the GFC, was fairly moderate growth. For 2000, you mean before COVID? COVID, what did I say? Before <laughs> GFC was 2000. Sorry, thank you. Before COVID, okay. So what we saw in terms of growth between around 2003 and the start of 2020 before COVID hit was pretty moderate growth. It was, you know, the Clydesdale of Brisbane ticking mm. along pretty steadily, nothing exciting happening, all that sort of stuff. COVID, everything went a bit haywire for a little period of time. But then as we came through COVID into about September, October 2020, that's when prices really went through the roof in Brisbane. So that is a significant X factor event. You and I talk about different factors that influence prices, prices, you know, um, interest rates and population and, and and all sorts of different things. But an X factor event is something that we couldn't have anticipated. This X factor event is one of the few things that has driven prices to to a degree that has seen a boom, a boom in Brisbane. It's taken 20 years from the la- 18 years from the last boom to the current boom for us to see significant price increases that actually stopped people differentiating between A-grade properties and mm. C-grade properties. 
20 years. So if you're a person who is prepared to invest your money, your money and the bank's money, really, but your money into a property that needs 20 years and an X factor event to have the kind of growth that you would see in an A grade property in maybe an eight to 10 year period, then now is the time to buy a bargain. <laughs> I think the answer and is if you're don't not, do it. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, on a final note, too, and I think that is a massively great p- point because the thing is that a lot of real estate agents out there will trade on the fact, and I don't mean necessarily individuals, more about the messaging of the industry. Hmm. They would they will rely on the fact that people forget and they will misuse data. And statistics get misused in property all the time. And this is a classic example of that. So that's the reality of it. You want to wait 20 years and a black swan event and a, <laughs> knock yeah, yourself an out. Factor <laughs> event. But, you know, also remember the agent's there to sell the property. That's their job. Yeah. So do your due diligence or get someone to do it for you. Do the course for God's sake and learn what due diligence you need to do. <laughs> do your due diligence and the, the do the other course, thing, yeah. The other thing, though, just as a final, final note on this, is that if, and this is something that has been talked about a lot in the media, and that's that a lot of these people who have had their houses go under in Lismore, also in Brisbane and, and other places, a lot of them have been uninsured. And the reason they're uninsured is because they've been flooded before and the premiums are ridiculously high. Mm. And I remember, and I think I might have mentioned it on a previous um, podcast perhaps last year because we had some floods up in Tari and, and that uh, uh, sort of central area of uh, central coastal area, not central, mid-north coast of New South Wales. Um, and there was a guy on the news basically saying he only just bought his house, first house, you know, I don't know, six months earlier or something, and it wasn't insured. And the reason it wasn't insured is because after he bought it, he found out that the insurance was going to cost him like $13,000 a year. Well, there's not many first home buyers that can afford to stump up then $13,000 a year to insure the property. And the reason Mm. he couldn't do that was because it was a flood-affected property and the insurance company knew that, but he didn't know it when he bought it. Now, he could have known it, as you say. All this Mm. information is available and in fact, it's about worse because in New South Wales, it actually is a vendor's disclosure. There's a document in the contract that will tell you this information, but it, you still got to read it. You still got to understand know what the to implications look for, you know? of it. Yeah. It's just one of the many things you need to look for when you're buying a property. It's mm-hmm. not just floods. But, you know, he could have quite easily worked out that he couldn't afford to insure that house and not bought it. But now he's no longer has a house. He just has a massive debt. God, your heart, heart goes Awful. out to people. I, like, we're talking about the fundamentals of property here, but at the basis of it, it's there's also human beings involved mm. who have been terribly affected and and through no fault of their own, you know, they didn't cause the flood. Um, they've ended up homeless and, and some of them with debt that, that won't be repaid um, unless they can find funds from somewhere else. And that that is, is heartbreaking, truly heartbreaking. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.